We lost a legendary UT women's basketball coach is about two weeks ago, uh, Pat Head Summit, five years after being diagnosed with early onset, onset dementia in the form of Alzheimer's, she passed away. She was 64 years old. September 16th of 2010, Miyoko Seno-Shadrach, my mom, passed away after a six-year battle with Alzheimer's. She was 81. And uh, it's a brutal disease. Uh, our family went through every stage. Uh, if you just read a book on it, and you're going, this is going to happen next and next and next. And we walk through those phases from noticing early bouts of forgetfulness or repeating things to uh, some very awkward conversations, tense doctor's visits. There was a denial, uh, and then the slow, painful slipping away of someone you dearly love to the point that uh, they are there, but they are no longer there. And I know that just mentioning that, you know, for some of us in the room, it triggers some emotions and memories uh, for some, and, and for others, it it simply reminds you where you are right now, uh, maybe walking with someone through this. Any of us over 50, I'm in that camp, well in that camp, heading, heading further north on that one for sure, uh, live with a tinge of fear every time we forget where the keys are, or where did I park at the mall, or did I repeat that? And you know, we make light of it, you know, call it a senior moment, but I, I tell you, I sense this amongst my own peers. We don't, it's not funny anymore. Because the reality is that the forgetfulness of Alzheimer's is tragically lethal. And there is a spiritual Alzheimer's of sorts, a spiritual forgetfulness that is, it's just as lethal to the Christian life. Why does the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation continually exhort us, remember, don't forget? You recall in Exodus 13, 3, Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out from Egypt from the house of slavery by a powerful hand. The Lord brought you out of this place. Deuteronomy 15, 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Joshua 4, that amazing story, crossing the Jordan into the promised land. But when they got in the land, when the water was still stopped on the Jordan, the Lord said, take 12 stones out of the center of the river, put them on your side. When your kids come by, you see, they're going to say, why are these stones here by the Jordan? And you will tell them what God had done for you. You will not forget. Psalm 78 is a, is a, the whole psalm is a call to remembrance, but it's also a very strong uh, exhortation and reminder that they forgot. Psalm 78, 42 summarizes in a, in a sentence why Israel always, not always, but oftentimes found herself in trouble and in hard places. Verse 42, they did not remember his power the day when he redeemed them from the adversary. Let's take our story of Esther. We're landing the plane here. We've got two more weeks in Esther. But take the story of Esther and the context of Esther, where it lands in redemptive history. They are in Babylonian captivity. They are not where they should be. This is not a good place. And why 
in large part, are they there? They forgot. They forgot. Mordecai and Esther uh, do not want them to forget this great deliverance that we picked up last week at the beginning of chapter 9. If I could put our lesson in a sentence, and I'll repeat this several times, I'm just going to give you the, this is, this, is, this is what our text, I think, gets to and expresses. It would be this. When we forget what God has done, we find it difficult to trust what he is doing and what he promises to do. I'll say it again. When we forget what God has done, we find it difficult to trust what he's doing right now, what he's doing, and what he promises he will do. Esther and Mordecai do not want the Jews to forget. And God, in his providence, gives us the book that we might not forget our own deliverances. Open your Bibles, if you have them, to Esther chapter 9. We're in Esther chapter 9, verses 20 to 32, picking up the second half of the message Michael started last week at the beginning of chapter 9. Let's get our context. Always keep, us, keep in mind where we are, even in the story. Uh, the day of extermination has come, right? So that day, it was, it was uh, nine months in front of us a few weeks back, but now the day has come. Every, every Persian is going to kill every Jew near them. Men, women, and children plunder their goods. Veiled providence has raised Esther to the queen's throne. Veiled providence has put Mordecai, her cousin, in, in a sense, as the prime minister. Uh, he writes uh, an edict, a decree that counteracts the one of Haman so the Jews can defend themselves. Now, the Jews didn't simply like make it through the day. It wasn't like, okay, I'm glad that's over. No, that was an opportunity for them to, to destroy their enemies. And think back on some of the stuff Michael talked about last week. Don't bring, our, don't bring too much of our own Western and, 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 and morals, you know, not to say morals, but don't, don't bring what we think about some of the stuff to it without the biblical context. That was the extermination of their enemies, God's chosen people. But in that turnaround, uh, it goes back to what I said uh, two weeks ago. Do you remember when I said two weeks ago? I said, when God reverses things, it's not like, you know, it was here and here and yay, God reversed it. No, no, no. When God reverses it, 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 it's utterly reversed. In other words, we'd say it this way. It is a reversal in which what God brings about far exceeds that which preceded it. That's true in all the reversals in the story. Now, we're not sure how much time has passed. When we hit verse 20, it's, it could be months, uh, days, months uh, when, when we pick up this story, but we're going to follow it in three parts. 20 to 32 goes like this. It starts with Mordecai's instructions. He gives some very specific instructions, and then it continues with the people's celebration so Mordecai's instructions, the people's celebration, and then the back end, 29 to 32, is Esther's validation. Instruction, celebration, validation. That's the text before us. Follow along in your Bibles as I take it a section at a time. Verse 20, God's word to you and to me this Lord's day. Then Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. 
both near and far, obliging them to celebrate the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same month annually. Because on those days, the Jews rid themselves of their enemies. And it was a month which was turned for them, note the contrast, from sorrow to gladness and from mourning to a holiday, a good day that they should make them days of feasting and rejoicing and sending portions of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Now, Mordecai's letters institutionalize, in the best sense of the word, it's not not used as a bad word, It, it, it formalizes the celebration of this Feast. Now, they, they did not have to be told. When, when they defeated their enemies, we read it in 18 and 19, the previous verses, they broke out in celebration. They part, no one had to say, hey, let's celebrate the victory. No, they celebrated the victory. But Mordecai now makes it formal, requires it to be on the calendar. And by way just of application, I want you to think about something. It strikes me that remembering God's deliverance and his deliverances is too important not to go on the calendar. That's what just happened. Now, uh, do you ever notice, at least in my home and in my life, what really matters goes on the calendar and What I'm not that interested in has a hard time getting there. Lisa keeps a kind of a running to-do list for me. And and, uh, this is one that's very current. It always seems current is uh, she will ask me literally, hey, do you think we could pick a day out where, you know, you could take off or a Saturday or something and and we could work on the garage? And I'll say, sure. Three weeks later, hey, do you think you could pick a day when I... And it just goes on. But listen, somebody calls me. Curtis called me and said, hey, do you want to go fishing or, you know, hunting? I'm like, dee, 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 can, can I get that on the calendar, what I want to do? And it's, he said, put it on the calendar. Put what on the calendar? God's deliverance. That you'd celebrate it and be mindful of it. I don't know when I started this, but kind of a, a bit of a, a, an aside, but, but along these same lines, many years ago, I, I remember I was thinking about you know, praying and my, my daily prayer. And, and I thought, you know, I want to I make sure I'm, I'm praying gratitude and thankfulness. And of course, I wanna, want that to be true all the time. But years ago, I just, I just made it in my mind. And please don't hear this legal. I'm not telling you do this. I'm telling you how this works out in my life in some ways. I thought, I'm going to make Saturdays a day of thankfulness. And so I just do that so that, so that I, I just know anytime Saturday hits that if I'm, when I walk and pray, whatever, that, 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 that my prayers are going to be, God, thank you. And man, I thank him for molecules. I mean, I think I just go through the list of everything that I could be thankful for and my salvation. But that's, that's a day just that I want to build into my calendar for gratitude. Now, uh, the, uh, one of the reasons the book of Esther is written is that it It's the only place that Jews today who celebrate uh, Purim can go to know why are we celebrating this? It's it's because of this story in Esther. It's a huge celebration for them. Even today, many of you may know more about this than I. The, The rabbis say this about Purim. He says, quote, when the Messiah comes, 
All the feasts will be redundant, but Purim shall never cease. Matters to them that much. You know, I mentioned to you, when they celebrate Purim, it's Purim or Purim, you can say it different ways. Um, they, they begin with a fast and then they, then they tell the story and they tell it in such a way. You remember I told you that when they say Haman's name, they all boo and hiss. Kids dress up. People are in costumes. They have those rattlers. You know, those things you spin at New Year's, I guess, you know, that, that make all these noises. Not to be disrespectful in any way, but to, but to get the sense of it for, for you and I, it is like Halloween and Christmas combined. I mean, it's just, it's celebratory, it's food. I mean, it's, you know, like, like the candy for the kids and the gifts and all that. That's the sense of Purim. And also includes, you'll note here, meeting the needs of others and gifts to the poor. Did you catch that on the back end? And it points to this fact that celebrating God's deliverance, now connected over to us as believers, celebrating God's deliverance, is more than remembering what he's done for me. It's remembering in such a way that it fills me and it pours out of me to the benefit of others. One commentator said it like this, quote, the child who comes back from a party with a tasty morsel and says, I saved this for you, is near to capturing the spirit of the ancient love gift, end quote. Lisa and I will often get invitations to things and it might be a birthday party or an anniversary or just a celebration of something. And like many of you, you know, you, your kids are busy, you have obligations and you both can't go. And so this happens rather often where one of us will go and it'll be, you know, oh honey, why don't you go? You've had a hard week or whatever. Well, I'll tell you this, without exception, when Lisa goes to the party, the event, she always brings me back a plate of dessert. I just knew you would love this. This is your favorite key lime pie. When I go, not so much. But when she goes, you know, and it, that's that sense of her, I wasn't there, but I want you to be a part. I want my celebration to touch you, you see. And this is repeated over and over throughout the celebration. We'll notice it even as we get to this next part, the people's celebration. Look at verses 23 to 28. It says, thus the Jews undertook what they had started. See, they've already started doing this. Mordecai formalizes it. What they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the son of Hamdatha, the Agagite, the adversary of all the Jews, had schemed against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is the lot, dice, to disturb and destroy them. But when it came to the king's attention, he commanded by letter that his wicked scheme, which he had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the name Pur. And because of the instructions in this letter, both what they had seen in this regard and what had happened to them, the Jews established and made a custom for themselves and for their descendants, and for all those who allied themselves with them, so that they would not fail to celebrate these two days according to their regulation and according to their appointed time annually. So these days were to be remembered and celebrated throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city. And these days of Purim were not to fail from among the Jews or their memory fade from their 
descendants. You notice when we read this, the stories recounted, Haman did this, Haman did this, the king did this. So they recount the story. Haman cast the pur, the, the, the dice. Uh, pur is singular, die. When you put the I-M on the end of it, per M, it becomes dot, you know, plural die. There's more than one. And so just the name itself, you see, creates a, a picture for them. And it will, because rec- they've told the story, they will recall these things. Every year they celebrate it, it was a reminder that the most powerful man in the land, King Ahasuerus, don't, remember, the, remember the early feast? You know, the most powerful man in the land is not in control. That the most evil man in the land and powerful Haman is not in control. That your preservation and your future is not at the roll of the die. That it's not a random chance. That fate is not leading. You see, that would bring to mind, every year it would bring that to mind for them. Now, I want you to think about this. All of these things were things that they could see, in a sense. I mean, you see Ahasuerus. You, you see uh, Haman. You see the, the die being rolled, so to speak. But it was not what they could see that preserved them and secured their future, was it? What was it that preserved them and secured their future? The veiled hand of providence. What they couldn't see. It's a reminder, y'all, to you and I. It's not what you can see that has your security, that has your back, that secures you now and secures your future. It's the invisible hand of God. I never know exactly, you know, what the line is for me to share uh, with you about my own personal journey. I never want to share anything that's inappropriate. I don't want to share anything that's ever self-serving. Um, I, you know, I, I, you know, I've got struggles, and and I do have, you know, my wife, and I have friends that can hold that with me in confidence. Uh, but there are some things that I do. I, I'm very open to share because I want you to know that I I don't have it all together. When it comes even like to this, like, look, trust the hand of God that you can't see that that's not very difficult for me. It's a reminder, and Michael and Bill the same way, Rob as well the same way. We want you to know this, this pulpit does not make us immune from the struggle of faith. For about eight weeks, um, I've been struggling with some severe anxiety, almost panic attack-like for me, and it's... You know, just like you, things happen in your life and in my world that, that create fear in me. I'm, I'm just, I'm a fearful guy and I just kind of go to fear. Then I go to anxiety. And for me, I've shared this before, some of you know this, but for me that can, that can lead into some depression. And, uh, and I certainly have been feeling that in the, in the last two months. And I've taken some steps for me. It's just like if I'm talking to you about struggling with some depression, I'll talk to you and say, you understand it's an illness. It's good to go see a psychiatrist. I've, I'm doing, I've done that. See a doctor, make sure physically things are in order. Do you need some medication? It's physical. It's an illness. It's also emotional and spiritual. You want to see a counselor. So I'm, I want you to know I'm, I'm, I'm doing those things. But I, but I say it because as I, I'm, I'm in the middle of that, even as preparing for this mes- message over the last few weeks. And I come to this passage and I want to say to you, look, you, you know, don't, 
Don't worry about the things you can see and the things that create fear and that, that are, are creating this, you know, devastating, catastrophic images in your mind. Don't worry about those things. You can trust the unseen hand of God. And I do want to say that, but I also want to say, um, I'm trying too. <laughs> and it's, it's really not, not easy at times. But, but like you, my, my prayer, even as we were singing this morning, is, you know what? The God, God has given us his spirit. We've sung about that. His spirit lives in us. He's given us his word. So I'm walking with you to say, Lord, this is very, I'm having trouble with this, but by the power of your spirit, may I trust what you say and what you promise more than what I can see and where my mind tends to go. Now, lest we think again that this, celebration is just about us. Uh, notice verse 27. I want to draw, draw our attention to that. It says, the Jews established and made a custom for themselves and for their descendants and for all those who allied themselves with them. Do you notice that progression? They did it for them, themselves. They did it for their seed, their children, and they celebrated for those who would come, who would, who would join them. It's a reminder that it's not about us, you know, not just about us. It was 14 years ago that uh, I took um, my son Darden, he was seven at the time, and I took him to uh, see his uh, cousin, my, it's actually my nephew, uh, to graduate from West Point. And uh, some of you have been there, I know, you know, we've got West Point grads in the room and, and um, even students, and uh, it was two days of goosebumps. I tell you, you cannot walk the grounds and see the sights with just the hair standing up on the back of your neck, the pageantry, the patriotism, the, the, the wonder, the history. And you know, when those 800 cadets come out on that last day in graduation, they come out in ranks, man, and they hit those lines and they stand in what you all probably know is called the long gray line. Those gray uniforms they, you know, that they wear. And it's a reminder to them and anyone watching that, you know, as they stand, they don't stand alone and they're standing because many, we're talking over a hundred years worth, have stood before them. And then they come to their place in line recognizing that there will be those who follow them, but they will only follow them because they take that which they received and they pass it on to the next generation. That's 14 years since I saw that class graduate. It's a, a physical, tangible reminder for anyone standing in that line, I'm not alone and it's not just for me. You and I, as those who have been delivered by Christ, we stand in a long crimson line, you see. Never forget, we stand with, we, we stand with them, with, with those Jews who, who were delivered. We stand with the apostles who wrote and reminded us and told us, you know that Jesus is the greater Esther. You know that Jesus is the greater Mordecai. You understand Jesus brings the greater deliverance than Purim. He delivers us from the penalty of sin and separation from our Father. We always stand not alone, never alone, and it's never just about us. Mordecai's instructions formalizes it. People's celebration, it's to spill out and go beyond for the good of others. And then Esther's validation, look at 29 to 32. 
Then Queen Esther, daughter of Abihel, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter about Purim. He sent letters to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, namely, words of peace and truth. To establish these days of Purim, that their appointed times, just as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had established for them, and just as they had established for themselves and for their descendants, with instructions for their times of fasting and their lamentations. The command of Esther established these customs of Purim, Purim and it was written in the book. This is a second letter. So, so you got the prime minister, Mordecai, sends letters, and then you have Queen Esther send a letter. How, much, how important was it to them that the Jews not forget? You see, that's the, it, it's that important. Double letters from the most powerful in the land now. It's interesting. Verse 30 tells us they were words of peace and truth. Again, let's think about this. The letters didn't go out celebrating the massacre or the, 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 the bloodshed. They did, that wasn't the focus. The focus was that they gained rest from their enemies. The, the, the focus was peace and truth. Now think about this. The focus was upon the result of what, what God had done, had brought them peace. Peace, uh, uh, shalom, it's this sense of wholeness, things as they should be, things as they were made to be. You have peace. So it's what, the, what, had, what had the result was and the means. How did they get that peace? Peace, truth, also translated faithfulness. The reliability of God secured their peace. That was the focus of Purim. And that brings us to our focus this morning the ordinance that the Lord gave us to remember. And I'm going to ask the ushers if they would uh, rise up and, and, and get to the back there and grab the elements for the Lord's table, which we will celebrate. And as you take the bread and the cup, I'm going to ask you to hold it because I want to continue to, to speak to you about a few things for a moment. I want you to understand if, you've, if you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've placed your faith in Him, that His life, death, and resurrection was for you, you are, you're so welcome at this table. Please join us here. This is one of the means that Christ has given us to battle spiritual Alzheimer's, that we would celebrate this regularly to remember. So again, they're going to pass uh, these elements. I'm going to ask you to take the bread and the cup and to hold them. And then we will take them together in a moment. But I do have some thoughts I, I want you to consider. And then I'll ask you to do something right before you take the bread and the cup. In this, Paul says that we remember the Lord's life, death, and resurrection. We also proclaim his death until he comes. Now, Take the book of Esther, we've said over and over, it's pointing to the greater Esther, greater Mordecai, the greater deliverance, the Lord Jesus. The Bible tells us that there is a decree of death over everyone. Well, Lord, what do you mean a decree of death? Well, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death and that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And therefore, there is a decree of death on every man, woman, and child born of Adam and Eve. 
Now, here's what I want you to think about. All of us know this. No one in the room, including me, no one in the room escapes physical death. We don't like to think about it, you know, per se, but we're all going to die. But that's not the death to be most concerned about, quite frankly. You have to think about it in these terms. Death, you see, is, is separation. That's what death is. And so when my soul is separated from my body, I'll be physically dead. That's what death is. We all have a soul, lives forever. But in, in physical death, the soul is separated from the body and, and you're physically dead. You see, our greater issue is the soul because everyone's soul lives forever. So in a sense which we say everyone lives forever, you do, your soul lives forever. The question is, will your soul, when separated from your body, be with God forever or be separated from God forever? The answer to that question depends on what you do with Jesus. Do you believe he's the son of God who lived the perfect life, who died the death we deserved, was buried and raised again? And do you believe he did it for you? You understand Jesus died physically? Everybody with me nod. Does everyone understand that Jesus died spiritually? Do you you understand Jesus was separated from the Father? See? And he was separated from the Father, paying for our sins, so that we would never, ever have to be separated from the Father. So that those of us in Christ, when we die, soul separated from the body, we're immediately in the presence of our Heavenly Father forever. Unless you diminish the body too, please understand that there'll come a day when that body that God made, you matter, your body matters, it will be physically resurrected and your soul reconnected with it. In a glorified state, this is our future for those in Christ. So as you hold the bread and the cup, I'm going to ask you to do this in your mind's eye. Just as they did in the story, you know, they would, at Purim, they would recount their deliverance. So right now, I want you to recount the moment of your salvation. You know, I go back to this room in Clarksville, Tennessee. I'm 18 years old and I... I just want you to go back there. Remember God's, you may not remember the exact moment, but remember the the season, the time when you came to believe. So go there now, and then we'll celebrate. But let's remember first how he saved us. Would you do that? Just close your eyes and imagine and go back to that reality. What was happening? Who was there? How did God save you?
Father, even as we thank you for our physical life today, that we live and breathe and have our being, we're remembering today how you saved us spiritually. The people you use, the circumstances, the material, whatever it might have been. And we want to recognize today that it wasn't because of our great intellect. It wasn't our goodness that brought us to you. It was you opening our eyes to our distance, our loss, our guilt, our condemnation. You opened our eyes and granted faith. We could have never mustered it up on ourselves or within ourselves. But in your kindness, you called and gifted and enabled us to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried and raised again. And we believed. Thank you for our salvation. And thank you that every deliverance in life is not our deliverance, but it is yours. That your invisible hand of providence continues to move and work. That there is no human being on the planet that can preserve us right now and secure our future. No, only you can. And thank you that you invite us to trust you, to believe, to make that veiled providence evident that others might know. For your body broken for us, we give thanks. And for your blood poured out, we give thanks. Take and eat and take and drink. Stand together. Remembering really matters, doesn't it? It really does matter. But uh, I was reminded of this. Someone wrote me a little note, and I want to end this way. Last week, they had said to me, I want to remind you that as much as remembering matters, okay, and it does, please know that it's God's remembering that matters the most because some of us are going to forget some of us will find ourselves maybe with the inability to recall it's okay because <laughs> God never forgets Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5 now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, hear the words, faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass. Let's remember, his remembering never fails. Before you walk out these doors, I want to invite you to take a moment and greet someone near you, um, have, a, have a word with someone near you, a reminder that even as we've just celebrated this, 
We're not alone, you all. So we've got a little time. You don't have to rush out. Let's turn. I know there's guests in the room as well. Let's remind ourselves that this celebration and every deliverance is one we share with others. Would you turn and welcome someone? Talk to someone nearby. Welcome them this morning and have a brief word with them.